Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Podcast about sketch and character comedy. My name is Alex Lynch. In this show, I chat to writers and performers from the world of sketch and character comedy, find out what made them venture into it, talk about their characters, maybe meet some of their characters, and generally just shoot the breeze and, more importantly, have a laugh. This is our second series, and to kick things off with episode 11, my special guest is the writer, performer, satirist, illustrator, carpenter, I mean, we'll just, we could just keep, uh, keep rolling <laughs> things off. It's Tom Neenan. Hello, uh, satirist. That was, I was not expecting that. that that's, a, that's a bold move. I always think of people like um, uh, Swift or someone like that as a satirist. That's a very mm. weighty word, isn't it? Um, but I'll go with it. Sure. That's very nice of you. Have, have, I, have I thrown imposter syndrome on you? Immediately. Oh, I haven't even spoken already. <laughs> I'm doubting whether I should be here or not. But, uh, but no, obviously, it was a very nice intro. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been nice. And I have been, I have carpet, I'm building a Dalek in my, in my back room. Sorry, sorry, what? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> lockdown has made us all, you know, you've done something like uh, make a podcast, which is a very kind of, you know, in many ways, altruistic <laughs> thing to do. And you're like chatting to people and having lovely, creative, you know, conversations i'm um i'm building a, a a villain in my back garden that's what i've chosen to do <laughs> and are you talking to people uh and having interesting conversations while you're doing that uh well i, I oh, dearie me this has already gone down a bad route i am occasionally <laughs> going on forums to ask people about the correct you know uh the, the, the correct type of materials to use for the certain nsd mo flash lights but uh it's it's very dull oh my god this is this is prop this is proper commitment to it though like yeah yeah you're like properly uh getting down to the world the, the nuts and bolts yeah quite literally i um i thought you know if i'm never gonna do it if i'm not gonna do it when i cannot leave the house you know, uh, then I will. I will never get around to doing it. So, so yeah, I'm building. I'm building a Dalek. Is this something that's been on the cards for a while? Then, <laughs> um, kind of. Yeah, I've always wanted to. Uh, just because they are, they. I think they look very cool, and I've always thought that um, it would be a fun project just to see. Apart from anything else, you just realise how much work goes into the sort of you know the prop guys who put these things together. Yes. You know, you see people and go, oh, it's just like a, it's a bin with a plunger on it. And you're like, oh no, there's so much more to it than that. It's so complex. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it's something I've always sort of wanted to do. Um, mm. I've done a few things during lockdown where I was like, well, no, this is the time to do it. I kind of uh, finished a, um, a, a film script I was working on and things like you know things that you kind of always say I just want to get it done whether it yes. goes anywhere whether it does anything at least I can say I've done it so that 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 feels good that's terrific sounds like you've been really productive in yeah that I mean I think that definitely wins the sort of you know when people sort of say what you've been up to during lockdown yeah I don't think you can really top that <laughs> building a 
building building a Dalek. Well, I was feeling pretty smug about myself, and then I saw Bo Burnham's special where he's created an entire um, comedy special all on his own, and you're like, oh, it's probably better. And what do you plan to do with the the Dalek once it's finished? Is this are you are you, are you trying to get it into Doctor Who? Um, no, I think that they have their own. Uh, Rumor has it they've got their own dance. I think uh, I will. Uh, I think I will. It will be my own. Uh, you know, thing to look at and admire. Um, and sort of as you know, I can look at it as like a folly of of lockdown. <laughs> so you've done like the reason I say I say satirist is because you've written for a lot of satirical and topical shows and you've done your own solo shows as well but I'd like to start um by going back to sketch and um your double double act with Nish Kumar oh, yeah, yeah, gentleman yeah. of leisure yes can you tell me uh, well about just ab- about that like when <laughs> how did it kind of start and what kind of sketch comedy it was um i guess i guess the term that people use is like front-facing sketch comedy there was no fourth wall it was us presenting and it was sort of um us presenting like a sort of mock culture show format was the idea mm. uh we you know nish and i met at university and we, we both were obsessed with those kind of things we were obsessed with the um uh yeah those kind of uh the shows that probably were you know quite um uh, you know, had quite high opinions of themselves. And so, and we thought that would be a really fun thing to like, I guess, parody, but more to do like character comedy around. Yes. Um, I was a big fan of uh, a double act called the National Theatre of Brent, oh, right. um, which does sort of a similar thing, which is Patrick Barlow and was um, uh, Jim Broadbent. Oh, yes. Right. So it was, uh, it, yeah, so Jim Broadbent um, and then uh, was replaced by a, a man called John Ram. I had no idea Jim Broadbent was in a sketch act. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely extraordinary. And that is that is two idiots presenting sort of highfalutin um, sort of drama, uh, you know, uh, sort of analyses of of um, culture. So I think they did one at the National Theatre called The History of Sex. And obviously it's these two nerds <laughs> doing it. And, and the, the comedy is inbuilt. It's baked into that. Um, yes. so, um, so that was really good. And that, those kind of things were the influence on what we were doing, I, uh, I guess, slightly. And then we would just be idiots about culture and kind of misun- you know, it's misunderstandings and things. But, uh, and also there was like an interplay between me and Nish as well. And Nish was the higher status character. Um, as is traditional in double acts, you have to, you know, there's a there's a play for the status. Of course, and, um, and yeah, we had a really good time doing that. That was two. We did three shows technically because we did two Edinburghs and then we did a tour of the British Museum. Really? Yeah, it's really fun. It was a half hour tour, and there was a little story that went round, and we used to like talk talk through everything and go through all of the different um, exhibits and stuff. And that was really fun. It was quite a, a, a you know, a big enterprise. Um, and then, you know, the, the British Museum mm. let us do it. They just, they were like, they get, you know, they, they sent out tickets and it was all officially <laughs> sanctioned by the British Museum and stuff. So it was, um, uh, yeah, that was so much fun. I kind of almost, of all the things I've done, that's the thing that I have to sort of remind myself I did it because it was so mad. We used to like, we used to do like four shows in a night and then people, you know, guide people around. It was loads of fun. That's amazing. I mean, like, how many people could say they've done sketch comedy? <laughs> <laughs> the natural, that's, that's so good. Um, when, when was that? That would be, oh dear, I mean, I want to say 20 to 10. I've, I've lost all, I, I don't know how years work anymore. Uh, I think we're all a bit similar. You know, it's, um, uh, the pandemic has made me sort of question all of that. Um, I, I, for sake of argument, 2010. Um, and, um, but yeah, I think there is another group. I think there is uh, another sort of tour, touring, you know, a theatre, oh, sorry, a, a kind of um, comedy tour sort of um 
uh, product like company that does them. So I don't want to say that we're the only ones yes. to do it, but I, I would say, you know, that, that, that was, it felt very cool that I'm pretty sure we're the first people to do it in the British Museum. After those shows, did you kind of feel you'd exhausted gentlemen of leisure or, or what was the kind of, <laughs> what made you both decide to um, go, go solo with, with comedy essentially? Um, I think that um, certainly Nish just was, you know, he, he had, I remember being his first ever stand-up gig. It was a, a gig I, I ran in Durham. And from the very first second, you could tell that like, oh, this, this is someone who like is, you know, clearly has an aptitude and, a, 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 you know, a passion for this particular medium. Um, and so I think he was off to, and you know, I, I love uh, writing in any form. And I think I just... So he he went off and did his first solo show, and then I did a thing called the BBC Writers Bursary, which yes. I, which I did the same year that he did his first solo show, which is sort of a year that uh, it's a scheme the BBC runs where you're employed for a year to write across all sort of radio comedy shows which aren't sort of authored by one writer. It's an amazing scheme, and it's still running. And um, it's if you're sort of a new writer, it is amazing because it just gives you you know it gives you a home for a year. That's it's, it's such a privilege to do that. So um, so yeah, that was what we kind of that was what split us up. It was all very amicable. It was just like oh, you're off to pursue the thing that you really love, and I'm off to pursue the thing that I really love, and it all all worked out. You know, it's very fun. That's great, and, and it's all yeah. sort of come back round because you're both working together again now, aren't you? Well, yeah, that was lovely. Uh, you know, it co- coincided at a time when Nish was at a stage where he, you know, he was considered to have a profile where he could host a show, and I was able to sort of take on the the sort of position of head writer because I'd done, you know, I'd built up a, a, a CV of writing on those shows. So it really kind of it was a nice a nice way of working, and that worked for the for the um, for the Mash Report, which we both worked on as well. Mm. And how uh, how has the um, uh, Hello America been going? Well, how is it going? The answer is it's gone. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> like the app it was um, it was working on. It is it is no more. It was for, uh, for those who don't know. Hello America was a show I did. Uh, I was showrunner on um, uh, for Quibi, the app, the short-lived app. Uh, is that one no of the. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, Alex, I'm so sorry. I feel like I've just told you. Um, <laughs> I've just broken some awful news to you. Yes, Quibi is no, Quibi is no more. Um, it uh, it no longer exists, and so so I think some things have been sold to some properties have been sold to like other um, uh, uh, sort of broadcasters. But uh, but because we were topical, I don't think there's much there's much value in uh, in showing some like year old topical comedy to a different broadcaster. Oh wow! I very insensitively brought that up, thinking that was still. Well, we're all still raw about it. We're all still very uh, yeah. It's still very oh, painful. God. <laughs> Oh, that's a that's a big red cross for my interviewing skills. Sorry. No worries. I mean, what it shows is you just like I think everyone else in the world was not a Quibi subscriber. So, uh, so that is fair enough. It just means that you're a functioning member of the human race. I think. <laughs> oh dear, but so, sorry. Uh, um, so, it, how how was uh, writing for <laughs> America? Correct <laughs> America. Tense. Well, correct tense usage. Um, no, it was good. It was intense. Um, and it was all via Zoom. Like we would go into the studios and obviously there was lots of, everyone was very, they were very good at keeping to the COVID regs uh, and everything. And everyone was marked up and everyone was keeping their distance and washing their hands, you know, and, and all that stuff. It was all very meticulous, but most of it was written via Zoom. And yeah, we just, we would work from, you know, it was a proper login at, at 10 and sort of log out at six and just, just write these, these monologues. They were two eight minute monologues per week 
uh, monologues, I say, or shows at least, because sometimes what we, we shake up the format and we do really, I think, quite fun things with the format. You know, we were sort of taking the format and mixing them up a bit. And so there's some, yeah, there's some stuff from the Quibi show, which while I'm sort of, you know, I'm teasing and saying, oh, goodness, you know, it, it was all, um, it, it, nobody saw it or anything else. Actually, um, I'm really proud of uh, one that, you know, thank you to the people who gave us the platform to do it. And two, thankful that we got to like, uh, yeah, do this and, 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 uh, I think get better and better and better at it. It was really nice. When you're a writer, you can move in all directions and you can take it to an example, an absolutely phenomenal writer like um, Jesse Armstrong, who can do yes. a half hour sitcom and then move on to a sort of prestige hour long HBO drama which is still yes. funny, but sort of is certainly a drama as well. And sort of go, oh, it's, it's all the same muscles and it's all the same skills that you're learning and picking up. And I just find, I find that very inspiring. Definitely. What's the same with uh, Stephen Moffat? Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, Mr. Sitcom moves to, yeah, to dramas and he's writing feature length episodes of Sherlock and things. You know, it's, and what's great is you can see from the Sherlock episodes to episodes of Coupling, you can see the same sort of, uh, you know, he's, he's got a, a brain which loves playing with structure and expectation. Yes. And that's true in both sitcoms and drama. And he's using all of those skills and all of those instincts to kind of, to create basically, you know, what they both need to be, which is uh, engaging TV. Definitely. I remember one particular episode of Coupling where it was a split screen mm. and it was um, showing what, uh, what the guys were doing and what the girls were doing kind of oh, simultaneously. Yeah. And that was the first time I'd sort of seen that done on a British sitcom. Yes. I saw that when I was quite young. But I remember, like, the fact that that episode sticks out in my mind. As... He continues to do that. Like, I, you know, as you may have guessed from me, building a Dalek in my back room, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. And there's a, <laughs> an episode, um, there are two episodes of Doctor Who I would point to anyone who wants to know why I you know, love it and why uh, I think it's brilliant writing. One is uh, an episode called Midnight, uh, written by Russell T. Davis, which is a chamber piece. It's all set in one room and it's only actors. There's, I don't, there's hardly any special effects in it. And it's just acting and writing and obviously brilliant direction and lighting and everything else. But it's, it's sort of really pared back and it's absolutely incredible. It's a self-contained story and it's so engaging. And another one is a Stephen Moffat episode called... Um, Heaven Sent, and it is, uh, once again, it's a, it's a very scaled-back episode. It's basically just um, Peter Capaldi on his own in a, in a castle, and it's phenomenal. And that, once again, like you say, with the split-screen and coupling, it plays with structure, and it plays with sort of, you know, it's pushing at the very boundaries of what TV can do to tell a story. And yes. I just think it's so incredible. It's so good. Yeah, no, oh, it's, it's, it's always, like fun to watch people play around with structure yes especially of like especially when it's like a known tv show as well giving you surprises <laughs> uh you know when you go to the fringe and there are people there there's people like um you know like the penny dreadfuls did but they're doing narrative shows or um people like steam raskopoulos i've seen his shows and they sort of play around with structure um yes, yes. as well uh, john Luke roberts is another sort of very sort of plays around with these kind of things and explores what you what you can do. Obviously, um, uh, well, one of my favourites is Jamal Jamal Pergo. Um, just these really skilled uh, performers who go, it's, a, you know, if you've got a black box and a, and a person, yes. um, what is what can you do with that? The, the, almost the limitations are endless because, uh, yeah, Claudia Doxy, another person. You know, there's like so many of these very innovative um, 
uh, people. And I'm sort of choosing them as opposed to like stand-ups because of the remit of your podcast as well to sort of go, mm, yes, they are, you yes. know, they're, um, because there are obviously a lot of, of stand-ups as well that play around with structure, but these are like sketching character people who I think are very, are very skillfully manipulate that kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Joe Morpurgo mm. is one of my absolute favourites and the show that really absolutely blew me away was Soothing Sounds for Baby. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, an astonishing show. I don't know if it's available anywhere. Um, I don't know if he ever recorded it, but... Um, I hope so because um, yeah, because I think it's a, it's a it's a absolutely tremendous show. It's, it's packed to the gills with just sort of amazing uh, amazing work. Yeah. Um, so uh, so no, that yeah, I just I, I think he's amazing. It is. I mean that. I mean for those for people listening who don't know the show, it's essentially Joe is on Desert Island Discs, and each record he picks essentially creates a character sort of based around that record. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And he. He downloaded all the episodes of Desert Island Discs and took Kirsty Young's voice and cut it together to make her say <laughs> the lines he had written in the script, which is so like meticulous. Oh yeah, you just like that is astonishing. It's astonishingly like yeah, like you say it's meticulous. It's just the the work that's gone into it is is amazing. Yeah. That then for me, sort of, it's always a handy reminder if you're ever doing anything live. It's like put put the work in and then if you put the work in beforehand um then you can have so much fun on stage just knowing that you've you've sort of done that that you you've got enough sort of you got the enough jokes and enough stuff to 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 know the 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 material is good enough so then you can just enjoy the performance and you can sort of try and bring as much from it as possible and i think shows like that are a really good example of that yeah and the fact that he manages to tie pretty much every single thing up at the end yeah yeah oh yeah in that final in that final bit so many mm. like callbacks to even like tiny references <laughs> that was just like oh my god like yeah, yeah, yeah it's the yeah. sort of thing that both inspires you and makes you think i should give up <laughs> <laughs> it's that sweet spot it's the it's the oh i want to do that but also <laughs> i never you know I, yeah i should be i should quit um you want to hit that sweet spot definitely <laughs> Going on to those uh, kind of shows, though, like I, uh, one of the reasons that I particularly wanted to talk to uh, have have you on this show is because your shows also, I think, again, like I find them very that sweet spot of um, really inspiring and also, oh my god, I'm never going to be able to do something like that. (laughs) Oh, high praise indeed! It's thank you because the first show I saw of yours. And I think the first time we met as well was um, Edinburgh. Yes. When I came to see Attenborough. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, and that was just so... I mean, I love the story. And just so... The gag rate on that <laughs> is just wonderful. Oh, thank you very much. I, I suppose you've already answered this, but yeah, like what kind of first made you start doing these solo shows that, that weren't a sort of um, uh, character sort of character comedy of like lights up lights down change costumes change character but to have this mm. one character telling this story throughout and sort of interweaving this narrative yeah uh, well i uh, yeah i think i just really I, I i love those sketch shows where they do you know what what, what i think became uh 
popped them for a while, although they're incredibly hard to do, Pappy's did them very well and Dreadful's did them very well, is that is sketch shows where each sketch feels just like a new fun idea and then slowly throughout the hour you start piecing together, oh, there is a narrative happening and then it does all kind of coalesce in a really satisfying way. Love that kind of stuff. So I'd seen a number of one-man shows. There's an actor called Alex Lowe who's just on uh, the most recent series of... um, uh, of this time with Alan Partridge, really funny actor and writer. When I was very young, I saw um, he did two one-man shows at the Fringe, which I saw when he t- took them to London. One was about um, uh, Radio One, the history of Radio One, um, uh, and one was about wrestling. Was about Saturday morning wrestling, um, uh, because Alex was also an amazing impressionist, so he could sort of embody all these characters. Uh, and I remember just thinking they were absolutely amazing. You know, he was he was so physical and so brilliant. And and I remember thinking that's that's really inspiring. Seeing someone just sort of put that much energy into telling a story. Um, I think yeah, those shows really influenced me. Um, and then at the Fringe, I saw I remember seeing Humphrey Carr's show, um, uh, which was about his grandfather as a um, uh, during the Second World War. Uh, which was uh, called, I think it was called Dimmock Watson Nazi Smasher. And that was him <laughs> telling the story of his, um, his, his grandfather, obviously an embellished story, and, but he told it in this sort of brilliant way. And it was inflected with a load of, um, you know, really fun characterization and, and sort of narrative techniques. And then I, my first show was a, a ghost story because I love, I also love sort of, you know, gothic horror and so my first show was called The Haunting at Lopham House mm-hmm. and was just me telling a ghost story, which was perfect because I got to, I got to have like jump scares in and things like that. And I used to, uh, it was, you know, there's this satisfying moment I'd always wait for and I'd bring <laughs> everything down and make everything very quiet and then suddenly hit everyone with this loud noise and I got to see an entire audience like lift off up their seat. And then, you know, because the only thing you do after that is you have to laugh everyone would then be like laughing and it was it was so lovely and satisfying so like that's what got me into doing one man shows it's that telling one story because ultimately i think for me anyway you can go and see if you go and see a sketch show and you know god forbid none of the sketches make you laugh you go haven't really seen anything whereas if you go and see a ghost story and even if it's not funny even if you don't particularly find it scary if someone has told you a ghost story you cannot deny that that is something that has happened. Yes. So an audience will leave going, ultimately, I was told a ghost story. So you can't really, I, I find that quite comforting knowing they're going to get, there'll be something, you know, of their money's worth, even if they don't find me, you know, charming or funny, they don't find it scary. Something has happened undeniably, which is what they paid for. Nice. Uh, so, so, <laughs> There's no loophole. Yeah, exactly. This happened. <laughs> You've got yourself uh, covered. You can't deny it. Yeah. Oh, terrific. And was that, uh, was Vaudeville the next? Oh, yeah, I'm trying to remember the order. Uh, maybe it was Vaudeville, then Attenborough. But uh, yeah, so Vaudeville was a uh, another sort of horror show, which was um, mm. uh, which was sort of a, a number of, as I put, Manto horror show. Is that the right word? Yes. Um, so like uh, things like t- uh, Dead of Night and these sort of, they're actually coming back. I've seen a few more portmanteau horror films. Um, and, uh, you know, which are like three or four little stories with one overarching narrative. Um, and uh, and so that basically that was a way of me telling a larger story, uh, but also not having to commit to just one, one long narrative. I could do three shorter stories that kind of told the story of this theatre called the Vaudeville Theatre. Yes. From different eras. And so there was one that was Shakespearean um, and there was one that was um, there was one that's sort of more modern. And uh, what was the first one? Oh, the first one was just Dead of Night. So it was me being with me with like a ventriloquist dummy. And I played the ventriloquist dummy as well. And like um, 
so, so yeah, that was sort of a way of not committing to just you know one hour long story, but splitting it up a bit. You know, like, you know, like The Simpsons when they do the Simpsons, the Treehouse of Horrors kind of thing. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So, like, was what made you then change um, your tack with uh, with Attenborough if you'd been doing horror stories and <laughs> that been like was that kind of were you sort of hoping that was going to be your thing like your niche doing sort of this storytelling these ghost stories i guess so, although you like you say it can be a niche and it can be um you know i i love that and, and at that time i was lucky enough to be writing my radio show um the haunting for radio four <laughs> yeah um so in in a sense that was my outlet for that and i felt like i had my foot in the horror stuff mm. at that point you know um doing those for radio four subject day four Odd one, this. So last night I plugged the phone into the charger. I I selected Scottish Highlands and went to sleep. Then the whistling came again, even louder this time. Like it was right next to the microphone, piercing and shrill. It got louder and louder until I realised I was no longer listening to the whistling through my phone. I was listening to it actually in the room. I was in the room with the whistling, with the faint sound of the Scottish rain coming from the speaker. Then I heard what I think was typing on my phone. Then it stopped. Silence. And the next morning there were two wet footprints next to my phone. The screen was wet too. So I guess three stars? So then I was like, well, in that case, I'll do, I'll try something else. And I almost went to the other end of the spectrum. I was like, what's the most kind of, who's the most positive person you can think of? Who is the most sort of, you know, lovely to think about? And I was like, well, also, you, you know, sometimes at the fringe, you're a bit cynical and you sort of think, oh, everyone loves David Attenborough. <laughs> I was reading his autobiography at the time yes. and I, I was like, oh, yeah, everyone likes him. And if I, you know, if I make it a reverential but funny show, um, I could maybe, you know, sell a few tickets off, off um, you know, this man's legend. Um, as long as I don't, you know, say anything horrible or, or offensive about him, I think I can, you know, that that, that shouldn't be a problem. So, um, so yeah, so I, I wrote a show and, you know, I just thought, oh, then I get to, then I get to play in the world of animals and I could, like, play some of the animals and I could, um, you know, and I could tell maybe the story of, like, his first documentary and obviously it, it's nothing you know I, I, I read the story of him making his first documentaries it's not based on that at all it's just sort of a um, <laughs> my fun interpretation of what that would be kind of thing oh it's just it's what it's wonderful <laughs> yeah the eaten coat of arms which is a man telling uh, various objects that he went to eat at. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Weirdly, the coat of arms was a joke I'd written the year before for Josh Widdicombe used to do a, his Absolute Radio podcast live. Oh, yeah. And they used to get Henry Packer to illustrate it and then show all the illustrations at the end. But Henry couldn't do it for a few... Um, so they asked me to do it because I sort of sometimes do silly drawings. And it was... Um, um, Ivo Graham was talking and so Ivo Graham uh, went to Eton and so sort of as a, as a little um, sit to tease <laughs> Ivo slightly he's you know he's got thick skin he can deal with it yes. uh, I, I drew the Eton coat of arms and he got a really <laughs> big reaction and, uh, and and James Acaster actually said afterwards he was like oh you should do that you should like do that in stand-up or something that's funny and it sort of came out fully formed um, so so I was just like I'll find a way of, of getting that into the next year's show. So I, I found a way of including that. Oh, that's fantastic. It's always funny, isn't it, how any material, you find some way of using, even if like you write a whole script and you don't use it, but you find like one one gag or one yeah, yeah, yeah. little yeah. section that, you, that, that ends up working in 
in something else. Never throw anything away. That is the thing. It's like have a have a folder open somewhere, you know, yes. on your desktop that is just like random nonsense because somewhere you will, you know, you'll find a thing. There, I think there's a joke in my first solo show um, in the Haunting of Lockham House. I think I wrote when I was like fi- uh, fifteen. Um, which was just the idea of someone saying, you know, when people go like, I'll get that guy if it's the last thing I do. Um, <laughs> and it was just someone saying, I'll survive death if it's the last thing I do. You know, just like a silly, silly subversion. But I was like, that oh, works for this context. I'll put that in. It's a, it's a silly joke, but I'll, I'll include it. Oh, that's quite... Uh, I can imagine Leslie Nielsen coming yeah, out yeah, with yeah. that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's got that vibe to it, yeah. Were you quite influenced by things like... Police Squad, Airplane, like those those kind of comedies where it's all done very seriously and deadpan, yes, but yeah. utterly stupid. Well, it's perfect. You know, those guys, um, and, and there's people who've spoken about this a lot more eloquently than I have, um, that basically with Airplane and all of those, you get a narrative that you that works and then you hang jokes off it. And so for, for The Haunting at Lockham House, I've recently been revisiting it for another project. And what I've done is I've realised I wrote... A, a ghost story that works like the ghost story the, the skeleton of if you'll excuse the pun the skeleton <laughs> of the um of the the narrative is quite robust uh because i knew i needed to hang jokes off it and if you hang funny jokes off a funny plot you end up it all becomes a bit frothy and a bit nothing insubstantial so you've got to make sure that one element of what you're doing is kind of uh is you know will hold weight and so um so yeah, so I, I sort of revisited it. I was like, oh, I've actually written quite a solid ghost story. <laughs> it's quite Obviously, it's heavily influenced by like the woman in black and and oh, uh, yes. Winston, I'll come to you and those kind of things. But um, uh, but you know, it is its own thing. And yeah, I was like, oh, okay, this works. And I think that is helpful as well. It's like going one thing you're doing needs to be um, needs to be sort of grounded in some way. Otherwise, you know, if you don't ground something at some point everything just can float away and it feels feels very you know sort of woolly and, and insubstantial absolutely it is tricky but uh, but no that you know that's a really good example of just like if you want to absolutely pack your if, if the job of, of what you're trying to do is just make it as funny as possible and have as many jokes in as possible then make sure that they're as good as possible and that they they have a good yeah there's a good like skeleton or a good st- uh, structure in place to make sure they all hang together This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you had to be isolated with any TV comedy character, 
who would it be? Oh, goodness. <clears throat> yeah. um, oh, no. I mean, by their very nature, none of them. Like, uh, <laughs> I, guess, I guess you'd have to go, like, this, in the States, they, um, they make characters that you can spend more time with. Because rather than being, like, two series, like, you know, ba- yes. Basil Fawlty would not work over 25 no. episodes in a, in a season. <laughs> I think that'd be too much for anyone. So, like, they tend to sort of uh, make their characters more, more sort of enjoyable to spend time with. They're more likeable, um, aren't they? It's, yes. Yeah. So I, um, I, it would probably be someone for an American show. And I'm racking my brain now to think who it would be really nice to... Um, uh, I mean, like someone... Uh, it's not a show I'm a fan of at all. This is just my, a random thing mm. that like... But if you think about someone who is sort of seems quite nice and affable... Yes. And also is quite tolerant, I'd go for like... Um, is it... Oh, God. Is it Leonard from The Big Bang Theory? Oh, Yes. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that show, but you're like, <laughs> he seems like he's quite a tolerant, kind man, I guess. Like, he might be all right to spend time with. That's interesting, yeah. Like I say, not not, not a Big Bang Theory fan, but uh, but that was what came into my head at that time. <laughs> what an odd decision, but there you go. <laughs> Would you consider yourself as nerdy as, as him? No, that's the thing. I also <laughs> probably, he's the one person who made me feel better about myself for like my Dalek building and stuff. Like I could, I you know, he wouldn't judge me as much, so that'd be fine. I mean, like he's been living with Sheldon for like ten years. That, yeah. So anyone's got to be better. Exactly. So I think we'll get on fine. So then, after the two horror shows might be the first one again there's the haunting at lopham house then i did a show called um the andromeda paradox which was a nigel neal infused show oh wow you know none of these are particularly commercial they were just things that interested me but there was there was that one which was sort of based on quatermass in the pit um and then there was then i did vaudeville then i did attenborough and that brings us up to it's always infinity it's always infinity which is quite a departure from the from the others yes where did the idea for that come about and like for people who may not have seen it or may not be familiar can you um can you briefly explain yeah yeah yeah. well it was in so it was 2018 so like i think now it's maybe a character which is more um uh which is more prevalent and a lot more sort of character comedians are exploring but it was the idea of like i'd seen a lot of men who consider themselves very switched on and very socially aware talking about how they were feminists and then not acting in a way that that um that necessarily tallied with with what they were saying um and i think that's a very common thing and i think that especially you know um i'm sure plenty of women can speak to this a lot more um with a lot more accuracy and uh, than i can but it was this so i thought i would the best way i found of presenting something is to make myself look like the idiot it's to avoid something which um, Ed Morris talks about a lot. Ed Morris is very uh, is a really good producer, um, and he um, he talks about sometimes if you're trying to parody something, uh, sometimes you can just end up doing the thing that you want to parody. If you want to parody racism, sometimes uh, just having a character be racist doesn't work. Isn't good enough. Like you need to actually do something. And he will say often, "Are we par- uh, Are we satirizing violence by punching someone in the face?" And I think that's always a good, that's a very good sort of lesson to go, are we just doing the thing and saying that we're parodying it? Because that isn't good enough for me. So like, so I wanted to parody these men who claim to be feminists and aren't, 
But the risk of that is you just end up going on stage and being sexist. And I thought no one's going to want that for an hour. So you really have to make sure that you're the idiot and you're you are like at all times checking in with the audience going like not literally checking in and saying this, but just like your writing is doing the job of saying I am the idiot. You are laughing at me. You are not laughing at sexism or sexist comments um, or misogyny. It is, I am the butt of every joke. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to write a character comedy show, which was, it was about my, my girlfriend had gone missing and that I wanted to do a show about it. And the idea was that I present it like it's all about her and it's a tribute to her when actually it's a self aggrandizing uh, enterprise. (laughs) You know, it's uh, in the rich vein of self aggrandizement, like, um, uh, Garth Marenghi does that a lot. Uh, if you look at like, oh, yes. Alan Partridge, Scissor Dial, all those are like, they're aiming to, they, they're going out to have <laughs> these grand ambitions, but actually it's about making the person at the centre of them look amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the idea. And I just thought, well, there's enough fuel in that. If I tell the story of like, I'll tell the story of how me and my girlfriend met. But I'll make it clear that it was like, uh, that I was awful, but like I present it like I'm, I, it was so good. And like, there's enough, hopefully there's enough subtext there that everyone then gets it and everyone can relate to it in that way. And were you um, sort of taking a leaf out of like, because true crime, especially like true crime podcasts, yeah. had become more and more popular, were you sort of trying, did you sort of think that would be quite a good... There were elements of it where, I, yeah, I really did, um, I took tropes from those kind of shows. So like there's a bit where I'm I'm sort of having a go at my girlfriend's ex-boyfriend um, and oh, I'm sort that of, is so funny. <laughs> I like going to... Oh, is that the Skyfall? Yeah, yeah. I go to forensic <laughs> analysis of his um, his watching of the film Skyfall, where I, I, what's obvious is I'm becoming obsessive and I'm being unreasonable, but I present, I'm putting it all on him. And so, you know, it's a way of just going, oh, this guy is like an obsessive, jealous man, um, and hopefully make it funny. Uh, so like so yeah I was using that I also I think at the time I was looking at things like this an amazing I'm not sure if it's still on Netflix amazing uh, two series of sort of a a, a a satirical true crime documentary called American Vandal oh yes yes which is very good like in a sense American Vandal starts off very funny and then just almost drops the comedy in favour of just studying the characters it's very interesting it's quite it's an odd beast but I really like it it gets very serious, doesn't it? Like, I've only it seen does. the first series. But yeah. when you consider it's like, starts off being all about who graffitied a dick on a car. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then suddenly it gets into this very dark place. It does, yeah. Because it has sort of has the courage of its commitments, I guess. It's, yeah, it is very strange. And so, like, but I, I, it's, I, I found it so compelling as a result. So, like, there are bits in the show that are, that in, 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 it's always Infinity that were quite dark as well. But uh, but yeah, it was just about exploring that. And also, you know, I'm, I'm still telling a story and I'm still I'm still sort of uh, there's a narrative to follow. But it's more of like I, I'm digging more into, I guess, like a character that I'm saying is me. And that feels quite fun because I don't mind looking like an idiot, especially, if you know, it's it's <laughs> I'm in control of it. And I get to show people how, you know, what an idiot I'm being. That feels actually quite a powerful position to be in. So, yeah, I, I really like that show. That was the last live show I did. Thanks to. Uh, the old the old <laughs> pandemic when you were um doing it's always infinity mm. and you were saying you were trying to sort of show look we're not laughing at sexism we're laughing at me yeah did that because you toured that didn't you yes yeah yeah yes did you find audiences varied on who got it or was it pretty clear and they were all quite on board with it 
People at there at various stages, I think different audiences got on board at different times. I think by the end, it, you know, certainly by midway through, it was undeniable that I was, you know, that I was sending myself up uh, in that sense. Um, so, but no, they would they would hop on at different times, and I've heard stories about people who recommended the show, and then their friends up their friends afterwards were like, "I really liked it," but but like ten minutes in, I was like, "Why the hell has my friend recommended this to me? I hate this guy." Uh, like, <laughs> why would they send me to see this show? This guy's an absolute arsehole. It's like, oh no, stick with it, and you'll 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 get it. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's good. And how was it uh, taking that into and putting it into a podcast series, which you did with uh, Tom Neen and his Not All Men? Yeah, that was really fun. That was like a um, that was my chance to kind of do some some long form sort of character analysis. You know, if 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 it's always Infinity was now along, this ended up being like uh, I guess it was nearer four hours, and you get <laughs> you know it's really fun to to dig deep and be like put him in different situations and talking to different people and let these, you know, let it play out. That's right. I'm Tom Neenan. I'm not all men. And I, wait for it, I'm a feminist. Why, you ask? I suppose because I'm basically just one of the good guys. Hi, it's great to meet you. That's right, I'm a feminist, an ally, a creative, an actor, a podcaster, a feminist, a dramaturg, a writer, and a feminist. Many people ask me, Tom, were you on the Women's March? <laughs> yes, yes, I was. Not only that, I actually completed it in the fastest time. 22 minutes, 18 seconds. It would have been quicker, but I stopped to help an old lady with a Royster card. You're more than welcome. I always think the, 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 the you know, especially with de- detailed characters, in inverted commas, I don't think that, the, you know, my creation was particularly detailed, but he certainly had a point of view. But, like, the, they always benefit from just being the, the stronger the microscope, the better, in a sense. Mm. It's a bit like, uh, and I'm not comparing myself in any way, but for instance, <laughs> um, if you, I, I love my, probably my favourite iteration of Alan Partridge. I really enjoy this time. I think this time is brilliant. But I love Mid-Morning Matters. I love oh, that yes. it's like two cameras and it's locked off and it's him in a tiny booth. And it's just because then it's like a, it's, it's this forensic study of a character and yeah. you know and it feels like you're trapped with him yeah there are isolation isn't exactly it? yeah and you're like and also uh, you know you've got uh, tim key there who's absolutely amazing as well and it's like it is just a way of properly just l- examining and looking at a character and I, I think probably that's my favorite iteration so you know i, I love when you can just have a character and, and and study them and and look at them from all angles yeah absolutely oh it's amazing how much in this podcast alan partridge has come up because there is so much to unpack there, isn't there? With the most consistently excellent comedy character, I think, like, if you think about it, I don't know when you were born, Alex, but, like, Alan Partridge might be older than you, like, as a as an existing person in the world. So, OK, I was born in 1990. The On The Hour pilot was 91? Is it 89? Oh. I think 89 was the first, was the very... Was it? Possibly. Oh, I might be wrong. So, well, wow. like, so you are as a, you have existed in the world for as long as Alan Partridge. Like, if you think about how how detailed a character can be, and they have, you know, it's now he's written by the the the, the Gibbons brothers as well. Yes, and so you know, it's it's it's. I, I think there's a reason why um, that's the case. It's just because it, it, this enduring character that we've watched evolve. Um, and it's now like an art project. <laughs> it's like they're, they're, you know, Alan Partridge is now this this epic art project that spans you know some people's entire life. Yeah, it's and I think it's really good that they did bring the Gibbons brothers in because I think that injected something new in 
into it and just kind of yeah i think so um they obviously knew the character really well and it's also like it's just been really interesting to see how that character has changed and sort of mutated yeah yeah, yeah. over time there's that there's that quote that says that a good character is a bad impression <laughs> so like um if you do a bad impression of someone all you're doing is creating a new character and what alan partridge started off as when you listen to those on the hours is he's being john motchen he's got that john motchen type <laughs> voice that he's doing and now it's evolved into partridge and it's actually quite a different voice you hear to the one then because it just started off as like uh, a john oh, motchen wow. impression um and and yeah it's evolved so i think you know always a good way into a new character is basically doing a bad imp- and i'm brilliant at bad impressions so like so you know i'm co- i'm constantly creating new characters that's <laughs> that's a really good um motto there i hadn't heard that one but also it's really interesting to know that that's because there've been so many like sort of there's been a lot of talk over where who is Alan Partridge based on? And there's been, you know, is it Richard Madeley? Mm. Is it Steve Wright? And it, that's, I, I did not know that. Well, at the start, certainly at the start when he was just like a generic news, uh, generic sports presenter, he, he even had the sort of, uh, you know, that, that kind of, this is sports. Yeah, he has that. And so it sort of evolved and become its own thing. Billy West, the, the, the voice actor um, who's on Futurama and he's just on Spitting Image. Oh, um, yes. I think he maybe says that as well. It's like, oh yeah, uh, don't underestimate the power of a, of a bad impression to give you you know a brand new thing you know pinky in the brain is just a, uh, is just a bad um not bad actually it's very good but you know it, that is just an awesome wells impression oh yes of course yes so yeah. uh, so you know that is there's always a way into a character is just going okay who can't i do an impression of and, and go from there <laughs> speaking of impressions uh how was working on spitting image because <laughs> you're certainly a fan Yes. Um, of the original series. You own a puppet, don't you? I do. I own a dolphin spitting image puppet. I always, I loved <laughs> spitting image when I was a kid. Um, and I I always knew I wanted, I, I wanted to own a puppet. And uh, when it came up on eBay for the princely sum of £250, which is uh, not a small <laughs> amount of money, but for, you know, for, for me, I was like, that is what I'm willing to pay for a, to own a bit of a television programme. Um, it was yes. great. I got to watch all of the different... Um, all the different puppets, you know, as they were being developed from sketches to moulds to, um, yes. to paint and everything else. And it was really, really informative. Uh, it was interesting. Yeah, I, I would say I was kind of a, um, I was working on Quibi at the time, so I wasn't as, uh, you know, at the, the cold face of spitting image. I think I got like three sketches in maybe. But um, but it was a lot of fun. But that's still good. You've you've written on spitting image, and that's it's on like, the CV now. They can't take that yeah. away from me. Um, so that that's nice. That's really nice. And it's so strange here. You know, you write something, and then you see this this you know monstrous uh, puppet saying your you know saying your words. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very satisfying. Really fun. I um, watched. I loved spitting image growing up. I, yeah. There was a documentary I saw about it, and oh yeah, they were saying that Harry Enfield was. Perhaps not the best impressionist, but he was the best caricaturist. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry Enfield was saying, when you sort of look at Leon Britton, who perhaps talks a little bit like that, you know, Leon Britton, and then you see the puppets, <laughs> and it's like, ugh, make sound like that, you know. It's- yeah, yeah, it's like, it changes his voice. It's a, it's a, you know, even just like seeing someone talk about that and seeing like um, Harry Enfield, who continues to this day to like, you know, with things like the Windsors, to um, to sort of, you know, use that muscle and be like, and make himself grotesque and make himself look strange. Even though if you ever see a Harry Enfield interviewed as himself, Himself. Yeah, it's quite a quiet, mild mad of man. He's quite sort of, <laughs> he's sort of quite quite quiet. And you're like, but he, yeah, he does do these these huge kind of um, 
uh, the, the depictions of people, and that's what you—that's what you need when you've got a big puppet. You don't—you don't want subtlety. You don't want someone going like, no. "Oh, that's so accurate." Um, <laughs> it's a bit like, um, you know, obviously we've thankfully we've come out of an era now where everyone had a, you know, had did their Trump impression. Um, oh yes, and you know, so like there were people. Everyone had their different take on him. The best one I heard is a, a, a comedian called Anthony Tamanek who did a thing called The President Show. And I oh, think yeah. his impression of Trump is unparalleled. I think it is the detail that he puts into it is incredible. Um, and But then you're dealing with a larger-than-life character anyway. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, whereas like so many would either just go straight for the like, you know, just like dug in like this and a lot of people say... Like, well, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, I don't want it. Like, uh, uh, a very skilled actor, absolutely amazing actor, but maybe his mm. his sort of impression wasn't the most nuanced or kind of helpful, I think, I would argue, with apologies to one of the best actors of his generation. <laughs> final section of the podcast is called change of character right okay <laughs> see what you've done there very nice <laughs> S- subtle <laughs> this name has been given to you by kieran hodgson oh oh sorry can i oh can i backtrack and also include kieran hodgson as one of the str- amazing fringe uh character comedians i feel uh, i'm ashamed now i didn't mention him in amongst all the others he's he's absolutely incredible and what an, what an absolute coup for you to have him on this show he's the perfect person he was the series finale yes it was an absolute delight oh my goodness oh okay yes so uh, he, he is giving you the name ape tennyson <laughs> i like it well you see right instantly <laughs> this is just what my mind went to is tennyson Yes. Uh, obviously, you're talking right. I, I'm gonna. I don't want to get myself into trouble by not knowing enough about someone. Um, so he's like um, not quite turn of the century, right? So is he? Uh, um, you're not talking about Lord Tennyson. Lord Tennyson. I'm trying to sort. Of, yeah, Alfred Lord Tennyson. Is he? So like, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't like uh, quite turn of the century. I think he was a bit before then. But obviously, um, a poet uh, and sort of playing that ape. Obviously, is an ape. But then what you start thinking about is you start thinking about the, like Darwinism. So you're like, is there somewhere, is there like a, is there someone who maybe uh, is, I don't know, almost like a missing link, but who has who's found his way working in like Victorian society as like a nobleman <laughs> and no one quite notices that this nobleman is secretly <laughs> simian in some way. So everyone's like, um, well, please welcome Lord A. Tennyson. And then eight Temis- yeah. Edward Tennyson walks in, and everyone's is, like, "Is he Lord?" Lord, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lord eight Tennyson, and he, and he's obviously because all those guys at that time they're massive mutton chops, and they like had massive eyebrows mm. and stuff as well. Give him a hat. I don't think a lot of people are going to know that this guy isn't, you know, isn't one hundred percent human. Um, so now I'm like eight Tennyson. The Adventures of Eight Tennyson is basically a man who by day is a respectable lord and can you know he can break bread with the 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 high society at night he's swinging through london town catching <laughs> jack the ripper like ha- swinging from lamppost to lamppost and like um so that would be i don't have a voice for him but like i was going to um, say does it, he 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 talks presumably this this ape yes of course uh, yes. he um 
uh, yeah, he sort of has he has, he has speech. Maybe he looks and sounds a bit like. Have you seen the Umbrella Academy? There's a there's sort of a monkey butler in that. I realise I've been quite literal with the name Ape, but he's called Ape. Like what? What else are you gonna do? Like that is. I know. So so I've sort of gone quite direct and and said that this <laughs> Ape Tennyson <laughs> is a 19th century nobleman who uh, by night solves crime using his kind of nimble um, hand-like feet and ability to swing through, uh, s- swing through the London streets. Wow. Is that, what, is that the kind of thing you're looking for? Is that, does yes. That, oh, yeah? oh, no, that is, that's, uh, I, I love that. The Adventures of Eight Tennyson. Does he have an arch nemesis? Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> what happened was whatever experiment or glitch in evolution created Ape Tennyson also created uh, sort of the inverse of that, which is a man who looks far more like a man than ape does, like looks far more like a, um, a, a human, but has mo- is far more animalistic. I'm thinking a sort of Mr. Hyde type character Ooh. who, you know, someone who is actually by all accounts looks more human, but has these animalistic urges. And his name, his name, and it's very, it has to be very simple, right? So he's like, he calls himself... Um, Mr. Revere, and it's Mr. Revere, and everyone thinks that he's like, you know, but Mr. Revere has this like dark secret, and only Ape Tennyson can sort of see the beast beneath. Oh wow! That's what that would if I had to if I had to characterize them. That's that's how I do it. That's great. And is there anyone who might have cottoned on to who Ape Tennyson really is? There is. Who is that? A plucky young biologist by the name of Charles Darwin. We're <laughs> so incorporating the real world into this has spotted young ape Tennyson and is like, what's up with this young man? Suddenly his, his, the synapses start firing <laughs> and Charles Darwin starts co- cooking up a crazy idea that many people will come to believe is the truth. Oh my God. Dot, dot, dot. I mean, have you ever seen, um, have you ever seen that Aardman film, The Pirates? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Scientists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, where is this film set? <laughs> like, <laughs> you've got Charles Darwin and Queen Victoria and pirates. It's like the most confusing period piece. Yeah, it just throws all the ideas. I mean, that's what I've done, basically. I've just thrown some Victoria and some other bits in there. You know, it doesn't get holds together as a narrative. I'm not going to write the treatment tomorrow. Is it? I was going to say, would would are you? Would you be seeing this as? Is this character? Is it a long running series, or is it a one off? If I was being canny, I'm pitching this as a as a ninety as an hour long comedy <laughs> drama to go out on Christmas, and then if everyone likes it, you go. There's plenty more adventures of Ape Tennyson to come. Hey, maybe he tri- goes over to America. Maybe he, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to think about like um, Ape Tennyson in space. Oh my goodness! Yeah, why not? Why not? That's like, I think like and you can go all steampunk. You can go a bit like George Verne about the whole thing. Yeah, I I, I, could, I could happily see him. Yeah, like you say, traveling to the center of the earth or something like that. I. What about he goes to? I, I, my American history isn't that good. I'm thinking he goes to the state. He goes to the states and he hangs out with who would be um, president at the time. Uh, Lincoln. So, <laughs> Just put anyone in. Yeah, so he's hanging out with Lincoln or like or, or like um, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes. I don't know. <laughs> he's like Andrew Garfield. He's there. <laughs> James Garfield, not Andrew Garfield. Um, uh, and, Andrew uh, Garfield is there as well. He's there as uh, well. He's got an eight man and a Spider Man. Uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll sort out the, the legal rights and stuff with all that. That'll be with the MCU. Sure. It'll work. It'll work. <laughs> 
that's what you put in the treatment. Just it'll work. It'll we'll sort I mean, it out. Yeah, most treatments I write, I just want to write. <laughs> it'll work. <laughs> yeah. Look, this is what this is what I'm I'm thinking. So just listen, okay? Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> really start by going like, "Hey, come on, I've got an idea. Listen up." Well, you have got to. You know, you can't be humble in this business. You have to go in like you're Billy Big Bollocks, don't you? There's a there's a balance there, isn't there, between going between a starting a treatment page one a blank it's just a blank page and in the middle it just says here yeah, come on I have got an idea come on oh god so that was Ape Tennyson sure <laughs> uh, but uh, yes could you please tell me the name you're going to pass on to my next guest oh, a name that I'm really proud of which is me and when I was writing a script with the brilliant uh, writer and podcaster Ben Partridge oh yes uh, we, we wrote a character whose name and I always thought the name was sort of I thought it was very evocative anyway it was Ena Snipe Ena Snipe Ena Snipe E-N-A and then S-N-I-P-E who is Ena Snipe? We shall find out on the next episode of Out of Character. Tom, thank you so much for being my guest. It's been you've been an absolutely delightful uh, return to the podcast. Uh, what a brilliant first episode to, <laughs> to open with. Um, thank you so much. Oh, it's been so lovely. Thank you so much. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market